So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, my name's Nate, and I'm here with the new improved David Hampton. Uh, he's the bionic <laughs> man now. Uh, <laughs> After my little tune-up, I did. Yeah. I, I don't did. even want to know oh. what implants they might have given you. Uh, no, you had some serious no. hard work done, didn't you? Yeah, no no implants or artificial stuff, but um, I had about a six-hour procedure to correct some yeah, things yeah. that I've been, you know, battling for a while, and um, I was, I, you know, I, I was in more pain than I have ever been in my entire life that night and the oh, next day, but then really? um, I had a little chest tube that they left in, you know, for a while, and that was probably, you know, agonizing, uh, but, but I am improving and I came home and I haven't taken, I'm not bragging at all, but I haven't had to take any pain meds um, since I've been home. I've been able to, you know, manage this with activity and walking and being a little more active each day and um, doing all the right things. I can't lift over 10 pounds for about six weeks and I can't, you know, the full recovery is going to be about three months, um, but they anticipate that I'll be about 90% better. And what's weird, Nate, is that even now I can tell that I am taking in more air. Um, I feel more um, rested, even recovering from surgery than I felt prior to it. So I, wow. uh, you know, my, my doctors told me that um, there were two different surgeons involved in this. And, and they said, you are going to be surprised at how much better you feel and how bad you used to feel. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, it's yeah. kind of a recovery paradigm. You know, you don't know you're as bad off as you are until you get a little better and you look back on it and you go, wow, crap, that was, um, I was, I was yeah. kind of bad off. <laughs> and yeah, uh, so, yeah, yeah. You know, I adjusted to the suckiness. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I adapted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so that's my kind of recovery metaphor, but thanks for asking. I'm doing super well. Um, feeling much better every day. And, um, and so I appreciate everybody's uh, well wishes and thoughts and prayers and all that goes with that. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to just, uh, continuing to move forward a little bit. Um, I did four FaceTime sessions yesterday with clients, uh, from home. I'm not in the office yet, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, a day at a time like anything else, but I'm so far so good. So beautiful. Well, we took last week off. You were in surgery. Right. Uh, Allie and I went out of town for uh, 10 days. Actually, we just got back last night celebrating our 43rd wedding anniversary. Uh, we, had a, we had a wonderful time in the charming little town of Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, Beautiful yeah. pictures, by the way. Those were, it looked amazing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic place. All right, but we have got a special guest this week. Uh, she is a charming, uh, delightful, uh, surprising, uh, completely unique uh, woman. Uh, you're going to love Christine Feckety. Stay with us. We'll be back on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. I have been looking forward to this conversation. We're finally getting this lady on the show who you and I have known for some time. We met her kind of in a previous life. Yeah. Christine Beckety uh, at, at one time was a resident of our fair city of Franklin, Tennessee, but she uh, moved to the coast some time ago and has got all kinds of things going on out there. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Early, <laughs> good morning. Earlier for you than for us, but yeah, good morning. <laughs> it, it is. It's a little earlier. And then I just realized the ridiculous of putting on some makeup this morning since the video's not. Um, but just for you guys, there you go. You're welcome. Okay. You're welcome. Nice. Yeah, it was a few lifetimes ago, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't just one lifetime ago for me. I think it was probably three lifetimes ago since yeah. we were all in the same universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I knew you as a, uh, I guess, a, a, a stay-at-home mom. Were you a homeschooler? You were evangelical? Oh. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I was. I, I refer to myself as a recovering evangelical. Um, if there was a support group just for that, <laughs> then... That would do it. Now, excuse me, you might hear some puppies in the background. Um, they are. Oh, they found the squeaky toy. All right, we'll see. We'll see. How <laughs> that's fine. That, that's one, that one. That one. I'm gonna grab. Hold on. Um, got it. Got it. Um, but yeah, re- recovering evangelical. I was not a homeschool mom. Um, I've oh, learned. Okay. To say, and they found another squeaky toy. Um, <laughs> there was a point where I had seven children at home under the age of 10 and I'm kind of having flashbacks with these, these two oh, 11 week old puppies at home. Um, but no, I used to, um, just, if someone would ask if I homeschooled, I, I would just like, God, no, (laughs) (laughs) that there were so many in our community that did homeschool that maybe I needed to tone that down a little bit, but no, I mean, I had seven under the age of 10 because we adopted and we adopted older children. So I had like two nine-year-olds, two seven-year-olds, six, five, four. I mean, it was just, yeah, Mm. it was a lot. Wow. It was a lot. That is a lot. Yeah, I had a. You referenced. Oh, go ahead. No, I had a degree in corporate and organizational communication. So instead of working for Apple, I went into (laughs) adoption and just applied some of the things at home. So people were actually kind of surprised (laughs) at how peaceful our home was. It was not as chaotic as some would imagine. Wow. Wow. Well, you made reference to multiple lifetimes. Uh, we really love for our listeners to get to know our guests kind of on a personal level. So we, we typically ask the guests just to run for us 
uh, briefly the story of the long and winding road that got them uh, into the world of recovery. Do you have some time to do that for us? I, I do. And and please do let me know if the puppies get a little um, too, too much. Um, or if I do. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you never know. I am currently a, a writer, actor, and comedian out here in L.A., and I have not had a live audience in some time. So you might... Um, you might be getting a little of that need for it. Just laugh for me now and then. That would just. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, we're easy. Track. We're I might easy. Have to, yeah. Might have to record. I might have to record this. Actually, I have had a couple of live shows. I actually just um, opened for Eliza Schlesinger, um, who has so, several wow. stories out, and Daryl Hammond um, from Saturday Night Live. So, oh, yeah. Um, wow. yeah was an amazing show in an outdoor church amphitheater. Um, so, oh, so that wow. was, yeah. So um, back to our, our Christ community days and the chill, uh, I almost said the children, I was thinking more of the dogs, which I'm starting to throw pillows at the dogs. There you go. That was, <laughs> nailed them. Nailed them. Very soft pillows for all you animal rights people out there. Um, I'm in California, you know, where people care a little more about animals than like children. (laughs) (laughs) I could be walking down the street with a newborn and they don't care, but if it's a puppy, I'm not going to get anywhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Crazy community days. Um, So um, Doug and I, my husband, (laughs) this is a great, my husband, Doug, um, became my ex-husband at one point after 17 years of marriage, uh, um, which is a podcast in and of itself. We went through, we had a divorce and it was incredibly amicable. The, the friends of my children would come over and say, I thought your parents were divorced, you know, cause Doug would still be around. We very much were still partnering for the children. Um, and just for our own, we were friends. So there was not mm. to be a point when we were just out of each other's lives. So, um, hush. <laughs> okay. That did sound a little more aggressive. I promise she's fine. The dog is fine. So we went through our divorce, which we're both very pragmatic. So it was like six months to the day. Um, cause it uh-huh. couldn't be through. And there was no, like, you know, no one fell in love with anybody else. There wasn't that kind of thing going on. Um, boy, my multitasking abilities are coming into play today. So we, um, he both still lived in, in Franklin. And soon after my divorce, probably a, a year tops, I began a six-year relationship. Um, I knew the man for stayed in my life for about eight years, but um, six years with a man that I very much uh, was passionate about, believed I, I'd fallen in love with. And, and that relationship um, was textbook toxic. You know, and I described mm-hmm. toxics as being like two ticks, you know, the blood sucking mm-hmm. insect, but mm-hmm. no dog, you know, just two people passionate <laughs> to sucking the life out of each other. And, and we had it down to an art form. And 
there was um, some, you know, mutual abuse, I would say, going on uh, more verbally for me. Um, I'm rather sharp verbally. Um, he. No. Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> True. <laughs> Um, and, and I think out of his, maybe not meeting that match, he he would in return, get a little more, more physical and, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah. So that, that's, again, that's another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And got to a point where I had a absolute complete breakdown. And that, that six year period was the height of my addiction, which for me was alcoholism. And I started taking, um, you know, various antidepressants, nothing seemed to be working. So I would go through that dance where the antidepressant, the dosage would be increased and then it didn't yeah. work because it leveled out, went to another one, um, threw Xanax in there. It was the first time in my life that I ever experienced a blackout because apparent, apparently, you know, liquor and Xanax don't mix. So yeah. <laughs> um, or mix yeah. very well, depending on what you're going for. Uh-huh. And so, um, got to a point where, um, I had just snapped to the point of, um, you know, sick of the gaslighting and, and what have you. And I drove my car into the front door of our house, his house, technically in, in Maplewood in Franklin, Tennessee, nailed that. Nailed it. Wow. <laughs> Nailed it. And ironically, at that time, I was sober. I was completely sober. So <laughs> I, I, I racked up a few charges that day, but they didn't get me on drunk driving. So, oh, wow. um, so I basically used a Southwest credit card to bail myself out and racked up enough miles for a one way ticket to Los Angeles, California. So well, that's wow. creative. When you're recovering from a mental health crisis, there's no better place to be than Hollywood, right? <laughs> that's that's where it all comes together. So I, I moved out here with my 16 year old daughter, who, um, you know, Gal Gadot uh, doppelganger, you know, Gal Gadot from Wonder Woman, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, billboards had just started going up for, for Wonder Woman and who that actress was, was kept under wraps for a couple of years. So people were like, um, you know, Samantha, did you not freaking tell us you were Wonder Woman, you know, Um, which she was not, but she would get stopped or asked for pictures and things like that. It it was fascinating. So the, the toxic relationship, the height of the alcoholism was one life moving out here was another. Um, there are this, you know, uh, airplanes, obviously. So the, the addiction to that relationship and the toxic relationship continued for a couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. He was in a position that where he had a company credit card, he he whipped out and would would fly out here every couple of weeks. I, I still had a son finishing high school, so um, I would would go back there quite often, and and it just it just started to fade away. 
So moving out of Franklin for me was basically like being like an addict who, who stopped going to the bar, who, <laughs> who, who mm-hmm. moved, out of, moved out of the bar and <laughs> then the bar started delivering. And then finally <laughs> just got to a place where that, that faded away. Come to find out over COVID, which a month into COVID was when I decided to stop drinking altogether. Um, because even, even though there was just that one significant period for about six years where it really escalated, I was not a, a routine, like a heavy drinker. I never hit alcohol. I didn't have it to uh, be more social or to get going in the morning. Uh, um, I just lost my train of thought. So this is a test. Were you, were you listening? <laughs> Where was I? Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you weren't, an, you weren't an alcoholic, but you, you reached the conclusion that alcohol wasn't doing you any favors and life would get better if you stopped. Yes. Which to me is a definition of an alcoholic. Uh, Mm -hmm. that, yeah, is, is now my father, both my parents are recovering alcoholics. My father died a couple years ago. He was 32 years sober. I think my mom is 34 Mm. years sober and, and she's a psychologist and became a psychologist when I was 16, which was really fun, you know, (laughs) to watch the murder she wrote and to have, you know, the killer psychoanalyzed along the way. That was so (laughs) That was great. Um, so yeah, moving out here was the beginning of another life. Um, and then my father died and that opened up an entirely new world. Um, he did leave me some money. I was able to buy a house um, in an area called West Hills Samantha and I had been living in Burbank and you couldn't get a one bedroom apartment in Burbank for less than like $350,000. Just crazy. crazy. So moved out to West Hills. My daughter had got, got her own place at 19. Can you believe that? Like she was doing so well in Hollywood land that she got her own place. I moved to West Hills and I was in the position for to have at least a few months where I could ask myself if I could do anything, what would I want to comedy? You know, I didn't even have to, I didn't even have to finish the question. And I, I'm an abstract artist. I was sitting outside painting on my deck and it was so clear. And I'll, you know how those moments, I know you guys get this where there are those moments that just so, you know, there's that chemical reaction to just mm-hmm. drill in your brain to, to re, you know, put this memory in your brain because it was so significant. And here's the thing, like, I, I didn't know what to do next. All I knew is that that's what I wanted to do. And I was willing to do, I expressed a willingness basically to the universe that I am, I'm willing to put myself out there and not get Mm -hmm. too heavy about it, not worry what people think, uh, not some, I just read recently, people are not, you're not afraid of failure. You're afraid of what people will think if you fail. Oh Yeah. And when I came out here, you know, I started acting and, and pursuing that. And 
you know, it, it's a very exposed kind of business. Um, well, you, you guys know, like David being singer, you know, being a singer or, you know, being up on stage or Nate with your books, you know, you, you put yourself out there. Um, I think we've all found that people, more people respond to that and appreciate it than condemn you for it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I jumped into this world of comedy, not knowing where to start. I was then working on a movie. I'm telling, I'm telling you within two weeks was working on a movie where a young man that we had discussed comedy before, and I had dipped, dipped my toes. I had been doing some comedy writing for a few people, but not, had not been up on stage myself. So I ran to this young man that was in that circle and said, I am so ready. I'm so ready. I don't know what to do, but I'm so ready. He directed me to a comedy class in West Hollywood. I went once and it was supposed to be to just kind of like audit the class. Basically there were about six of us. Someone would get up, do five minutes of material and they'd give feedback you know, these, these two guys that were running the class in particular. And at the end of it, I was like, I want to go, I want to go, you know, and they were Mm -hmm. a bit surprised. And so I did my thing and Jimmy Shin, um, who has an Amazon special and who actually I opened for when I came to Nashville two years ago at Zany's, we, we had a show at Zany's. I think that was 19, 2019. That was an amazing, that's a podcast in and of itself. (laughs) But, um, he said to me, Chris, you're like, you're like Ikea furniture with your comedy. Like all the components are there. We just need to help put it together. And when, which, you know, with Ikea furniture can take a lot of help. (laughs) 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 How that project goes. But I, started doing the open mics, which, you know, are in coffee shops. Uh, You know, you go in, sometimes you pay $5 for five minutes or you have to buy lunch there and they let you get up to a mic and just run things by. I I did that. It went phenomenally well. And I'm telling you what happened does it doesn't happen this way to to anyone that's listening (laughs) within a month. I was doing comedy shows, like like real shows. Within three months, I was at the comedy store, which is you know the world famous wow. comedy store. Um, yeah. I was a regular at a, a a club in Burbank, and I think it, I think it was about six or seven months in that I came back to Nashville for the first time in like two years. Uh, there's a lot of tra- emotional trauma, you know, connected to yeah. the area. Um, and I, I had the show at Zany's, which I, th- I, I think 160 friends came out. Um, wow. Wow. And, and it was just I, a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal experience. Uh, I was not sober at that time, which um, could have been a little dangerous since my my ex was there at that point he was still being very supportive from a distance you know um calling now and then texting now and then i'd share about the shows he had given me permission 
to share a bit that I had written about driving my car into the house. Uh-huh. Uh, I very much like had his blessing in that area. Come to find out about a month into my sobriety, which was May 22nd, Facebook memories just reminded me. Um, <laughs> I, I, my sobriety date is April 26th. So on May 22nd, I got a phone call from this woman, no idea who she was, and asked me if I knew that, well, she basically said, I'm calling because there are children involved. And I was like, in what, <laughs> you know, what are you, what are you talking about? And she said, well, you know, Greg is living with some, oops, well, no one knows his last name. Well, some people know his last name. Um, uh, you know, he's living with somebody now. And, and I said, no, no, I did not know that. And so I found out that um, he'd been seeing somebody the last several months of our relationship. There was overlap. She knew about some of that, never reached out to me. My, my problem, one of them, is trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. I like explanations. Do you guys? Oh, I, I, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm like, why? Because we there was no reason for him to lie to me. He had been clinically diagnosed as a pathological liar which for the rescuer in me just, you know, took that as a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll fix that, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, each time there was a blow up, a little more would be exposed or learned like from his background or his childhood. And I thought, okay, now he'll get it. Now he'll, now Mm. he'll get it. And someone in college told me, you know, it's a lot easier to be pulled down from a chair than for, for you to be able to pull someone up onto it. And, mm-hmm. and, and he was just knocking me off that chair emotionally. And, uh, my, my alcoholism, my addiction is not his fault. That was my choice. It was my choice to stay. Um, but thank you, Jesus, that, I was sober when that news hit. Um, it would not mm-hmm. have been out of the realm of possibility then to jump on a plane and come to Nashville because he shut down. He did the textbook mm-hmm. thing where he had convinced her I was crazy, which, you know, granted, I did drive my car into a house. So I don't think that was a hard sell. <laughs> but um, she had also been following my social media for a couple of years. So she was very much aware there was healing, but at no point reached out to me. Um, he had done the, the, the gaslighting, the rewriting the story. He had said that I would not leave him alone. So I'd be excited about, hey, I booked the comedy store. And he'd be like, oh, that's awesome. Um, and yet telling her, oh, she just, she won't leave me alone. You know, I was still... Yeah in that addiction. I was still in that addiction. Mm. Oh, he's alone at Thanksgiving. So he loves this stuffing. I'm going to, you know, make this stuffing, write out the recipe and send it. So actually a huge motivator for me in my sobriety was fighting that relational addiction. Um, mm-hmm. This been a month before I got the phone call, right? I just knew that there was this unhealthy attachment and 
um, I wasn't always making the best decisions when I was drinking in, in regard yeah. to that, you know, when it came to texting yeah. or, you know, it, it, it did, drinking did not make me smarter or more social or sexier or more approachable. It just, but it did make me not make the best decisions when it came to either who I hooked up with or who I kept in my life or what I said or how I said it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the cons definitely outweighed any pros and that was just the best decision for me. Plus I was a year in a comedy. I was a year in a comedy and I was happy. I was happy for the, I, I was not suicidal at that time. I mean, prior to that, uh, there were moments, but for the, in that year, I realized that I didn't want to die. You know, I was with a girlfriend who took a sharp corner driving and I I thought, I don't want to die. And then I thought, oh my God, I don't want to die. Like I don't, I don't want to die. And at this time I was living in this home with my 19, my 17 year old son had moved out and we were just at, at a good place. Then the pandemic hit and I started drinking wine again at night, even though it gave me migraines. I, I just, I don't know if I was just bored or whatever. I started drinking mm-hmm. wine and then there was a lot of political anxiety going on. Um, it was really easy to get a psychiatrist to throw the Xanax and the Ambien in there. Um, mm-hmm. So at, at some point in there, I, the timeline's a little messed up. Doug moved out here. Um, my son had gone through a bit, bit of a crisis and realized, okay, he really needs his mom and his dad out here. We were still redefining our, we were still figuring out our relationship, um, Doug and I, but we knew he, he needed to be out here. So, so we moved out here and, um, again, I lost my train of thought and things were going well and I didn't want to lose that. I just got to a place Mm -hmm. where I didn't want to lose that. And that's what keeps me sober today is just the simple thought of, I don't want to lose where I am now. Mm -hmm. I don't want to lose this. I've, I've rebuilt trust with my children who were young when I went through that, that toxic shit storm, you know, they were, Mm -hmm. they were so young and I, I hurt them. So I alienated them. They saw the worst of, my humanity. And there's been such healing. They've been able to exhale. You know, they, a lot of trust was starting to be rebuilt in my move to California. There, there was, I was doing a lot of self work. I I really was. Mm -hmm. So they were, they were starting to, um, see that kind of healing. But when I went sober at first, it was like, okay, good for you. And then it just a year and a month into it now, maybe a year and two months, um, there's an app. <laughs> there's an app that <laughs> counts the days for me. Um, I got people mm-hmm. for that. So it's on, it's on my app. Um, <laughs> they're just not here right now. Um, so th- they, they, they were able to exhale and that there's been healing. There's been nothing left unsaid. I, even along the way of the self-care journey in the, in the year before I got sober, I was making amends to this toxic ex. 
I was apologizing for, oh my God, you know, I cleaned out your closet. I took things to goodwill without your permission. That would feel so invasive. So I am so sorry for that. I did not handle things well with your children. I am so sorry for that. And he would sit there on the phone and for, you know, forgive me. And yet he was still lying. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just mind blowing, but I am learning in my sobriety that you just let that go. Right. It's, it's mm-hmm. their journey. It's not mine. Mine was to, as they say, keep my side of the road, my lane clean mm-hmm. yeah. here, mm-hmm. and not worry about the other side, which was hard because I got into rescuing stuff with the, the new girlfriend, you know, felt like, oh, you know, boy, if I just explain this, if I just explain <laughs> this, then she would want to save her children and herself. Yeah this trouble. If I just explain it and I put on that, all all that on me, right. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably Mm -hmm. being a child of adult uh, alcoholics. I, I, I put that on me. It's my responsibility. I, if I just Mm -hmm. explain this well enough, then people will get it. She'll get it. The world will be a better place. My conscience will be Mm -hmm. clean. It'll be some kind of redemption maybe for my mistakes. Um, however, I, you know, I'm a writer. I write on Facebook. I share. My kids mm-hmm. say I overshare, <laughs> but I've had to <laughs> let that go too. It's just part of my process. I process by writing. And what I have found is that I'm not alone, right? Yeah. You put yourself out there and you realize that you're not alone. So yeah. it's to help yeah. people, but selfishly, it really helps me too to share such things. Well, yeah, Christine, would you say that because um, we always tell people in when I work with with recovering people that they need to find a way to um, not just integrate their story and integrate their past because we can't none of us can undo you know any of our stuff, but um, but to integrate it and and even creatively connect with it. Would you say that that's really been a helpful the comedy, the writing, the acting, the the. Pro- professional pursuits that you have actually seem to dovetail with your recovery. Would you say that that's true? Yeah, that's, that's a great observation. Up till I started comedy, it was artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My, my, my artwork, but the comedy, it was just so, so cathartic to get up there and, to be able to talk about doing something so hideously bizarre as driving a car and in, in, into a house, but I, it, there, there is there is always humor to be found. I, I think there's a healing process. You don't want to go right to humor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. but the mm-hmm. officer taking you to the jail is not going to necessarily, you know, <laughs> find it funny in the moment. Um, but it, you know what, the part that I leave out in that bit, I haven't figured out how to, to work it in yet. Is that before I drove into the house, I drove into the back of a Porsche that the man had given me that was parked in the driveway, which just, which just symbolized <laughs> so much, <laughs> just me selling myself out, right? Because I would compromise, I'd get uh-huh. rewarded. And after one big compromise, I got a Porsche. 
I got a Porsche. So, (laughs) you know, he had, he had attacked me about something. The first move I made was to drive the Porsche into the back of the house. I mean, I'm sorry to drive my SUV into the Porsche and then into the front of the house. So when, um, I was in the hospital because they take you there first when you do something that crazy. (laughs) Um, The officers were in the hallway and I heard one of them say, you know, she, she drove, she drove into a Porsche and they were kind of laughing. And I said, it was my Porsche. (laughs) 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 It was my Porsche. And they just, they were like stunned. But even then at some level, I'm like, that's hysterical. Cause I didn't, my name was on the title. I'm like, it was my, my Porsche. So I, so I'll give a set, uh, I'll do a set about a toxic relationship. And, and every time, every time somebody will come up to me and usually say one of two things. One, I can relate to that. Thank you. I'm realizing I'm there. I need to remind myself how bad it can get. Um, and the other thing they say is because I've really wanted to do that. <laughs> like I've really wanted to do something that, you know, that nuts. I mean, a lot of people have thrown things. A lot of people have broken things. A lot of people have thrown stuff out of windows or whatever, but you know, go big or go home, baby. Right. (laughs) Well, come to find out if you go too big, you don't get to go home. You don't get to go home. You get to visit the local jail and Hey, jail and prison are not the same place. I did not know that. Did you know that? Yeah. I didn't know that. You yes. did? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Really? But that's another podcast. That's there another you go. Podcast. Yeah. Oh, and there are TVs in jail. I didn't know that. But the, the white middle class woman in the room does not get to choose the channel. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. Nor does she it's want a, to when she's curled up in the corner of, in the fetal position. So, uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, so, so you get out Christine, there. Don't leave our. Oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Nate. No, no, go ahead, Nate. Uh, Christine, don't leave our listeners hanging uh, about your story with with Doug. So Doug moves up, out to California. He does. Uh, to help with the board. Yeah. yeah. And here's the deal. I know COVID was a really rough year for a lot of people. <laughs> mm-hmm. But for me, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. it, it was it was a life changer to the positive, my sobriety. Now, Grant, Doug had, Doug had been living here for a good nine or 10 months. You know, we were um, definitely reconnecting and on a path toward each other, but my sobriety removed that obstacle of, you know, self-sabotage of me mm-hmm. thinking that I was not worthy of the kind of love that Doug gave me, which is the closest I will know to God's love, this side of heaven. Um, he, he never threw me under the bus when it came to the toxic relationship I was in. He was the one I would call um, if I literally needed to be scraped off the ground. Um, he had my back. There was an unconditional love. I mean, he, he did date. He, he did have a girlfriend, um, at one point who I actually 
wrote a note of appreciation to a few months ago because hmm. um, she, you know, she was good to, you know, kind to my kids and it, it just didn't have this toxic air that I had come out of. And when you come out of something so horrible, you appreciate the good. Right. And yeah. I've, I've gotten to this place where if you have a nice thought about somebody, share it, share mm-hmm. it. I, I want to hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to hear yeah. it from people and I want people to know if they've blessed me, if I've learned something from them, if they've shared something that is significant, if I've observed something, I, I want to affirm that. So the, so the, 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 the self-sabotaging, the realizing that I was worthy, which, you know, I still struggle with at, at some level always. That's just innately there. Uh, those, those that had been relieved. And, uh, and Doug also stopped drinking when, when I stopped drinking just as a supportive wow. measure. He, he is not mm-hmm. at that place where he's like, Oh, I was an alcoholic or blah, blah, blah. But um, he saw that me not drinking was better, was better for the family, was better for him, was better for for me. It was just better for the world. So we reconnected at a new level. My son, AJ, who was fish, finishing school at, at UT, and my daughter, Maxine, who is an art, brilliant, gifted artist out of Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska, they were coming in town around Christmas time, maybe the week before Christmas. And I had told Doug from day one, I don't want to remarry. I do not want to get remarried. He didn't like that initially at first, but he resolved like that was fine. You know, I just had too much fun saying that my ex-husband is now my boyfriend and we're shacked up together. You know, that was just fun. <laughs> you know? and, and he has yeah. these conservative Southern Baptist parents that that it was just, you know, fun to just shake up that world. And <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think in my my stepping away from things evangelical that I, I needed to laugh at things like that, that were so boxed in. And so. I had decided that I didn't really know what to get Doug for Christmas. So I proposed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no. I, I, I very much wanted that bond, you know, that officialness and my kid, my two kids were going to be here. So um, we had surprised them the week before, you know, one of my daughters, um, you know, just burst into tears. I mean, my, she was 21 years old. And the idea of her parents getting remarried just led her to bursting into tears. The the idea that divorce, no matter how amicable it is, um, no matter how much you have each other's back, it hurts children. It it hurts Mm -hmm. children. In hindsight, Doug and I did not need to get divorced. We needed a judge to say, slow down and court mandate us to about six months on a dating website. (laughs) <laughs> and that, that, that would have like woken us up to the point of, you know, it wasn't that bad. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't that bad. 
but but God works for the good. And now he's out here. Um, my son, Michael, is out here. My adopted son, Ben, is out here. Michael and Ben both work in the entertainment industry, um, in, in movies and TVs, TV shows. My daughter, Samantha, is this YouTube icon person. Um, she joined this family-friendly YouTube team where they shot Nerf guns at each other. I mean, it was this, this guy who owns high five studios had this very family friendly thing, but it was, their team was like four guys and they realized we don't have a girl. And their demographic was like eight to 23 year old guys. They needed a girl. And so my daughter who has four brothers it can be competitive oh, yeah. older on. She yeah. jumped into it. Long story short, she does Instagram stuff too. Thankfully with her clothes on, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not one of those like tits and ass Instagram models you see. And they make great money. She lives with her boyfriend, uh, Ryan McCartan, who's a Broadway star. He was Fiero and Wicked and Hans and Frozen on Broadway. And he was a Disney. Oh, nice. Disney star. Um, and, and they, they do very well on YouTube and Instagram. And I don't know why the hell I went to college. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a new world. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here we are, things are opening up doing comedy shows again, doing, um, TV shows again. Um, I was actually featured on the Goldbergs as a stand up comedian. Um, no lines, but, very visibly at the background because a lot of things that I do, you blink and you miss me. Um, uh-huh. But we're we're yeah. at a great we're at a great place now. That doesn't mean that I still don't struggle with consequences from the past, right? Uh-huh. There can be forgiveness and there can be healing, but there's still a scar there. And Doug is phenomenally gracious in that when I need to talk about it and process. As is my Facebook community. So uh-huh. if you're out there, thank you. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah. but but we're good. We're, well, we're good, Christine. I, I I can say for myself and on behalf of my wife Allie, we really appreciate your uh, vulnerability, spontaneity, uh, and generous doses of uh, wisdom on social media. Yeah, thank you. I have learned. I have learned the things. I have learned many, <laughs> many, many things. And, um, just like it would not be right to recommend a face cream to women who think my skin looks good when actually I've had a lot of Botox and Uh a lot of other little nips and tucks, you know, if I'm just like, Oh, just use this face cream. That would be cruel. So if I'm at a good place now, if people ask how I got there, I'm, I'm going to share the, the down and dirty of it. I, I think that is a gift that, that we give each other in this Absolutely. thing called life. Yeah. Now you are going to be back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You, you are going to be back in Franklin. I want to make sure uh, we. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. Prep this show. You're, you're going to be, you're coming back out here in November to the historic Franklin theater to do a yeah. show, right? Yeah. And here's it. That's a big deal. That that's a big deal. When I came a couple years ago to perform in Zanies, um, there was some PTSD 
attached to that coming into the Nashville airport. So I did not leave downtown Nashville. Mm, I I did not. I did not. I got really drunk my last night there walking Broadway and almost took an Uber to my old Maplewood address. And I would have found out at one o'clock in the morning that he was not living alone. And they're honest to God, no telling how that would have gone. But that kind the fact that I did not go showed some self growth, but I did not leave downtown Nashville. This time I'm going to Franklin. I'm going to Franklin and the will, uh, Franklin theater is located almost exactly between my old home on Everbright, where I raised these Mm -hmm. children and was married and then went through the divorce. And on the other side is Maplewood. Mm -hmm. So it is right there. Smack dab in the middle. Um, and the community has been so incredibly supportive and it's the, it'll be the first time I've been back to Franklin in four years, maybe four, four years. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. I I mean, and I don't know that even three months ago, the thought of that excited me. I think a friend asked, Oh, when are you coming back? And, and it just, Oh, it just, the thought of it, just anxiety just went from my gut to my heart. Like there was, I don't know, but something has, has shifted and, and I feel Mm -hmm. good. And Doug's going to come as well. And, um, that's, that's, yeah. I'm I hope to see you. I hope to see you. Yeah. Yeah, we love it. In sobriety, we would not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Um, That's, uh, I have regrets. I I, I have regrets. I I, I haven't quite, um, I'm not at a place where I completely understand that when people say no regrets. And a lot of times people say it flippantly because they don't want to deal. They don't want to look at it. So. So no regrets. Um, I I do have regrets. There are things that I would definitely do differently. Now, does God work all things to the good? Yes. Has there been redemption? Mm -hmm. Yes. Has the old gone and the new has come? Yes. Um, But there are, I I hurt people. I hurt people. Mm -hmm. And and I was hurt in a way that... um, that that still resonates a, a, a bit. You know, I'll watch a TV show where let's say a couple is arguing in, in a house and the woman will say, get out of here. I want you to leave. And my body tenses up. And then I see this incredible thing where the man leaves, leaves. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's no drop. Like the, the, and I still, I see that and it, it trips me out. I just, I can't, I, like, I can't believe it. So th- there's still fallout. There's still those things that, that I'm processing. Um, but it has given me an amount of empathy and awareness that has brought me to this place of being present and wanting more, knowing that I deserve more. Now I can't convince other people that they deserve more, but I can mm-hmm. share 
my story, which I am committed to doing. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do so today and to share about that show. Yes, November 10th, November 10th, 2021 at the Franklin Theater. Well, we're going to look for that because I only live a block down the street now. So that's going to be a a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and I think it's, I think it's healing when life kind of takes us full circle, but we can bring the new parts of ourselves into the old, um, maybe the old paradigm a little bit. And uh, maybe that'll be a a pretty healing thing that kind of helps close the, some of the gaps that you're still feeling there. It will, you know what, even being willing to schedule it has been phenomenally healing in in and of itself. And the community is so supportive. The people that came out to Zanies, it wasn't a typical show. It it, uh, almost felt a little more like a one woman show. I I shared um, stories that I I wouldn't, you know, share here. You don't share Hollywood stories about having lunch with Larry David or talking to John Lithgow or tweeting Mm -hmm. with, um, oh, just went blank on his name. Um, I'm sorry, whatever, but I mean, those stories are endless, but people in Hollywood are kind of like, yeah, yeah, but it is fun to hear them from somebody who had eight kids who didn't start acting till she was 50 years old. And, you know, who was a youth leader at church and, you know, in missions for 10 years, you know, so, Mm -hmm. so I've lived many lifetimes and I've had people that have, followed that journey from when we first met at Christ community days back in Franklin. So, and you guys are part of that story. So this conversation, this conversation (laughs) and looking at your faces is, you know, David, you and I first met when you were still doing music with um, Scott Wesley Brown, you know, that's, that's how long ago that goes. That's the That's late eighties, you know, early nineties. So yeah. Back yeah. in the day. Yeah, Back exactly. Day. Exactly. Well, it's good to see you doing so well, Christine. Thank you so much for Thank sharing you. all this with us. Thank you. What a treat. Yeah, this has been a great time. Thanks so much, Christine. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Nate, one of the things I love about this interview with Christine is reconnecting with people uh, that I've lost a little bit of track of over the years. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, you know, yeah. I've known uh, Christine and Doug for so long, but I haven't um, kept track of uh, exactly what was going on. I knew she was on the West Coast. I knew she was doing uh, uh, her comedy thing and acting and all that, but I really didn't know um, where her recovery story had taken her. And so I loved getting to hear how she's integrated her life uh, Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Yeah. So inspiring. And I just feel fortunate to be connected with her. Uh, I can thank my wife, Allie, for that. Allie started following her on Facebook. I, I will tell you, Christine is, she's not just entertaining. Right. Uh, but she's got a knack for saying what needs to be said in a way that kind of cuts through the bullshit. Right. Uh, and will make you smile in recognition. Absolutely. So our listeners can find her, by the way, on, I'm sure can find her on Facebook, Christine Feckety. Also, 
she's got a terrific line of uh, of gifts, uh, t-shirts and hoodies and yeah, and, very positive uh, mugs, uh, all kinds things. of stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's Think Happy Stuff, and you can find it at thinkhappystuff.com. You can find Christine there as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, hey, before we go, David, can you remind us about our sponsor? Absolutely. We are grateful to uh, be sponsored by BetterHelp.com. And as we tell you every week, BetterHelp.com is an online therapy service. It's an online service where you can go and if you use the slash positive sobriety, so BetterHelp.com slash positive sobriety uh, handle to sign up, you get a discount. And it also helps us know uh, if the resources we're providing are helpful. But BetterHelp will allow you to tackle any of the issues you would take into a normal therapy session or a more conventional therapy session. Um, but you do this from your own home, on your own time, with your own uh, private uh, surroundings where maybe it's just a little more comfortable for you and it feels a little more accessible. And these are all licensed therapists. They are uh, available if you decide that you need a different therapist. Maybe this isn't uh, the perfect fit for you the first time. We can find someone else. So um, please, please take advantage advantage of this opportunity to uh, explore uh, getting unstuck in your life mm-hmm. at betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. Oh, thanks, David. Well, I guess that about wraps it for this week. It's another great conversation in the can. Can't wait to put this out for our listeners. Absolutely. Until next week, then. I'm Nate. And I'm David. Yep. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 